Welcome to Point Two Law Review. I'm John Brandt. And I'm Carson Messersmith. And we are here the week of October 17th, 2023 through October 20th, 2023. Uh, we're late again. I know we are late again. And, and once again, I will take this one on the chin. Good. Okay. <laughs> between, between CLE and... You know, our favorite time, the the illness season. Yeah. I'm just calling fall now illness season. It's also fly murder season uh, yeah. in my office. Uh, I don't know why they're all in here, but I'm just, I feel like I'm getting rid of them. Yeah, everything's just starting to gravitate indoors, and now I look forward on the calendar, and I see that I think I'm going to finally have to do that, that terrible, terrible thing we do this time of the year. I think I'm going to have to turn on my furnace. Oh, no. Uh, I think I'm going to have to give in. You haven't done it yet? No. It's going to freeze this weekend. I know, but it, well, and that's what I'm saying. I'm going to have to give it up on Friday. But I've made it like a month. I think I probably got pretty gold there for, I don't know, a couple nights. But I was gone, so it didn't matter. I think we've ran the heater at least three times. Really? Yeah. I just hope it... I have it, small children I need to protect. Yeah, you got to... I mean... <laughs> Heaven forbid it dips below 68 <laughs> degrees in the brand household. <laughs> Their little Everybody fingers can't take it. Oh, we just can't take this. All right. What do we have for ex parte summary? Okay. So the first one we come to is Harkle Road versus Harkle Road. Right to intervene. I have State v. Hammond, and that is 99 problems, but consent to search ain't one. Classic. That, all right, anything else? No. All so right. we're going Jay-Z today. I like it. Okay. Well, at least for that portion. All right. All right. Let's start with Harkle Road and the Supreme Court. Carson, take it away. All right. Starting out with Harkle Road, and I'm going to try to make this as simple as possible. And so boiling this case down, essentially we have uh, two dueling estates. Uh, one estate is the estate of Sydney Harkle Road, and the other estate is the estate of Brian Harkle Road. And the big issue here is that the Harkle Roads, as uh, anyone who is uh, familiar with either Greater Nebraska or Corvettes uh, would know, they own a uh, large business, have for a long, long time, and I actually think various businesses. Um, and at the heart of this litigation is the fact that the brothers were supposed to take out uh, life insurance policies on each other, which would then basically buy each other's shares out of the business. And here it is argued that Brian who uh, died subsequent after uh, Sydney had failed to take out a life insurance policy on his brother and therefore um, was uh, responsible for that uh, cost. And so Carol, who is Sydney's wife, is appointed as the personal representative of Sydney's estate um, and basically uh, starts with, with trying to facilitate the estate, but then uh, Brian passes. Uh, they realize that Brian did not take out this um, life insurance policy, and so they have a special administrator appointed to handle that estate. She stays on as personal representative, but then as the litigation is happening against uh, Brian's estate over uh, the failure to take out the $2 million life insurance policy, um, Carol tries to intervene um, as a uh, party in the uh, litigation uh, against Brian's estate. And the district court in that matter basically says uh, that Carol uh, does not um, have a direct legal interest 
uh, as an individual uh, to the damages or personal property that is subject of this litigation. And so the district court denies um, her uh, inclusion as a party because they're saying she's not indispensable. And so the issue on appeal is uh, what is, when is intervention allowed um, and if she should have been allowed to intervene here. And so again, Head note here, if you're dealing with something, right to intervene, this is uh, a case where you want to go look. And basically, the Supreme Court is saying that uh, the right to intervene is statutory and that those statutes are to be liberally construed. And essentially, all you have to uh, show is um, that you have a direct uh, legal interest in the litigation um, and that because of that you that party uh, is entitled to intervene and essentially what they find here with carol is that um, the residue of uh, the estate for uh, brian and then also as a result sydney is going to change uh, drastically um, and since she is entitled to that in her um, in, in sydney's estate and that is going to change drastically based on this litigation. That is a direct uh, legal interest in this uh, litigation. And so as the person who um, is going to have a right to whatever remains, um, she uh, therefore has that direct legal interest in the litigation against Brian's estate and therefore uh, should have been allowed to intervene as an indispensable party here. And so the Supreme Court reverses and remands uh, with instructions to allow her to do that. Okay, I have State v. Sheena Hammond. It's a appeal from the Gage County District Court. It's a criminal appeal. Um, Ms. Hammond was convicted after a bench trial on stipulated facts with uh, for possession of meth, amphetamine, and paraphernalia. The main issue here is the motion to suppress that was filed and previously denied prior to the trial by uh, Ms. Hammond. And the, you know, the main issue of the main issue is uh, consent and consent to search a vehicle. So, brief facts here. Uh, a citizen file, uh, called in a complaint alleging that uh, you know, a vehicle meeting uh, Ms. Hammond's description was driving around intoxicated. Con uh, contact was made with the defendant from law enforcement. The officer conducted you know, some field sobriety tests, uh, horizontal gaze nystagmus and other things, indicated that she was not intoxicated but odd. Uh, there was odd conduct coming from uh, the defendant, and so, but it wasn't that she was intoxicated. So uh, the officer says, "Well, this is odd." Um, in in another reference to Jay Z, and this is a paraphrasing, but it, you know, mind if I look around the car a little bit? And she says, and this is this is quoted: "If you really need to look, more power to you." So that's the that's the phrase. If you really need to look, more power to you. So is that consent to search? She filed a motion to suppress saying, hey, I wasn't consenting. I was saying it was, you know, it was conditional. If you really need to look, if you have this authority, if you have this probable cause, then go right ahead, I guess. I, there's nothing I can do to stop you. I will submit to your authority um, law, state. I, I will do that. So the officer searched and found methamphetamine in the steering wheel. I'm not sure how that worked, but maybe it was like a steering wheel cover or something, but they found meth in there, and then uh, uh, subsequent to the 
finding of the meth and after her arrest and during the search incident to the arrest, uh, additional paraphernalia was found. So the motion to suppress was denied at the trial court level, basically saying um, you consented, there's no evidence that you didn't consent, so um, we're going to deny your motion to suppress. It was also denied at the bench trial on stipulated facts. Here we have a problem when we come up to the um, Nebraska Supreme Court, and I, I, I speculate that this would be the reason the Nebraska Supreme Court took this up, is there's been some differing uh, opinions since 2000, I think it was 2009, when they adopted this standard of review that basically says the historical facts uh, on these kinds of things as far as consent to search are reviewed for clear error, whereas the voluntary nature of the search is reviewed independently of the trial court. So it's not a fact question whether the voluntariness happened. It's, it's kind of a legal question whether there was voluntariness in uh, the consent to the search. And you look at that independently from the trial court and you don't look at it for clear error. Apparently courts uh, have been maybe getting that uh, misconstrued and they wanted to clear that up. And so that's what this case does. It says this is our standard of review. We are articulating this standard of review and this is the standard of review that should be applied for all uh, consent to search cases from this point forward. We're clearing this all up. Then it goes through and analyzes the facts and it says uh, that the consent to search must be free and an unconstrained choice. So you got to be voluntary, all those kinds of things, if you're going to make that uh, search. Here, the phrase, if you really need to look more power to you, was just kind of an acknowledgement of the power of the authority uh, within the law enforcement officer. And it was not some kind of coercion or anything like that. And the body cameras that were received didn't show any sort of um, impediment onto the defendant's will to make that choice. It was just kind of a weird phrasing for something like that. So they affirmed the trial court's denial of the motion to suppress and set forth a, uh, you know, an articulated, a clearly articulated standard of review, which has apparently been a law since 2009. And now this is the case you need to move moving forward. If you have anything involving a consent to search or otherwise, um, take a look at this opinion because you'll need to cite it. Okay. There we go. That's it for the Supreme Court. That's it. All right. Jumping straight to the Court of Appeals. We start out with a published opinion, uh, Pa K versus Christian G. Um, and this is where we continue to kind of, and I, I'm sure the appellate courts are feeling this way, uh, wind our way through feeling out the um, granting and just the process of domestic abuse protection orders and, and these ex parte orders. And so here we deal with a lot of procedural issues uh, with uh, the ex parte domestic abuse uh, protection order from uh, Pake against uh, Christian G. And basically what happens here is the uh, order is granted. Uh, that order uh, is granted on January 20th. On January 23rd, um, Christian filed a request for hearing on protection order, checking the box stating, I do not agree with the uh, notification received by email. And then the court sets an order for hearing on uh, that same day, setting uh, the hearing for January 30th at 10.30 a.m. And a certificate of service um, was served on Christian at an address in Iowa uh, by mailing uh, in United States mail. And basically what happens on January 30th is that Christian doesn't show up. Um, and so the order is uh, found to have been granted, is put in place for a year. 
And uh, then on G- on February 9th, Christian files a motion to vacate the January 30th order, stating that he did not receive uh, notice of the hearing until 3.30 p.m. on January 30th of 2023, when the hearing was set for January 30th, 2023 at 10.30 a.m. And so there was no possible way that he could have been there. Um, and he has an attached a Dave an attached affidavit saying that I never received any of this notice. I got a notification that there was uh, UPS mail on that day. By the time I went and picked up my mail, uh, it was already past the hearing time, and I literally did not even receive this notice until the day. And so there's a hearing and and multiple issues at the uh, hearing on the motion to vacate the granting of the protection order. And basically, the first issue is if the affidavit from uh, Christian was uh, hearsay, and the court says, yes, it is hearsay, um, and the rules of evidence, there's no reason the rules of evidence shouldn't apply at this hearing, and so therefore I'm not going to receive it. And basically the argument from Christian's counsel is that the rules of evidence don't apply uh, because it's on a motion to vacate, and so uh, therefore you know there shouldn't be the, the formal rules of evidence, and so he should accept the affidavit. Then they also deal with the issue of uh, the district court lacking personal jurisdiction to enter a uh, protection order against a non resident, non-Nebraska resident respondent. And the court says, uh, well, didn't he submit himself to the jurisdiction by asking for the hearing? And trial counsel says that that's not enough. Um, And basically what happens here is the district court says, um, I am denying your motion to vacate. I'm not receiving the affidavit because it's hearsay, and I am finding that there was personal jurisdiction. And so on appeal, uh, basically, having to to break this down and deal with all of the issues the first issue that the court of appeals deals with is the personal jurisdiction issue um and here there there's multiple ways that the uh court of appeals finds that there was jurisdiction uh they find that because of the long arm statutes you don't have to just be a nebraska resident in order to uh, gain personal jurisdiction um but the fact that he uh did fill out the form and lend him lend itself to uh, that hearing and ask for that hearing uh, probably gave personal jurisdiction and then they also um, talk about the fact that uh, Christian did not request the inclusion of the January 30th show cause hearing in his request for the bill of exceptions and so since that is not part of uh, the record the court has to presume that the evidence supports the trial court's order and judgment, and so therefore they find that the um, January 30th hearing re- relating to uh, finding that there was jurisdiction um, is uh, found to be validated by the evidence, and so they don't have enough information to make a showing that there was not uh, personal jurisdiction. And then the uh, affidavit, again, uh, basically the Court of Appeals here says that uh, the formal rules of evidence do apply, uh, that it is uh, hearsay, so out-of-court statement offered for the truth of the matter asserted, um, and the district court did not err in overruling the admission of uh, that affidavit. Um, And 
again, taking it in totality, uh, affirmed the order of the district court. This is one of those cases, if you have anything procedurally and kind of a goofy case because an out-of-state person having an ex parte domestic abuse protection order granted against them, uh, you know, I think it's probably one of those cases, the reason they published it is that there are a lot of jurisdictional and kind of convoluted issues in this one. So if you have one of these confusing protection order cases, take a look at this. Okay, I have uh, Dukan Mumman versus Chef Lee, also known as Lee Franklin Jr., tasted New Orleans at all. Uh, this is a pro se appeal out of Douglas, uh, Douglas, Douglas. Nobody calls it Douglas, right? No, I think there's lots of dogs in Douglas <laughs> maybe, County. Maybe, I don't know, but uh, Douglas County. Uh, this is an appeal from Douglas County. Um, basically, uh, Mr. Munman was uh, hired to be a uh, chef and pulled away from another employment to work for Chef Lee at the Taste of New Orleans restaurant. And then uh, when he got there, they reduced his hours and was ultimately let go. Um, that caused him to file a complaint against Chef Lee and the Taste of New Orleans and, and said, um, you know, I, I am due a bunch of money. And then they had a hearing on the motion to dismiss, which was filed um, shortly after the complaint was filed. And uh, Mr. Mumman uh, was appeared self-represented from the work ethic camp. And um, upon the hearing for the motion to dismiss, it was granted because in Nebraska there is uh, at will, um, you know, employment, and there was no contract on the face. It was a oral employment, uh, oral agreement to work for somebody, which could be terminated for any uh, reason, you know, aside from some other reasons. But uh, because of that, the dis motion to dismiss was dismissed, and the pro se appeal was also affirmed, and that's the end of this case. Okay. Sorry. To that was kind of anti. Well, that was kind of anticlimactic the way that that thing really fell down. So anyway, oh, all right. Jumping to State versus Harris, um, and so this is an appeal from a plea-based conviction in Lancaster County for a sentencing on a burglary and obstruction of a peace officer. The issues on appeal are that there was an excessive sentence, uh, that the court erred in failing to state its written sentencing order, that Harris's sentence were, was to be served concurrently, and trial counsel provided an ineffective assistance of counsel. And so the excessive sentence issue is dealt with uh, by, you know, as we see with all these cases, being within the statutory range, and then the judge uh, considering the uh, adequate factors, which happened here. Um, and then in the sentencing order, which again is, is something that we've dealt with again in this pod, but maybe is always good to be reaffirmed, the uh, oral uh, pronouncement of the sentencing at the time of sentencing is what controls. And here uh, the court uh, failed uh, to state whether or not the sentence would be uh, concurrent or consecutive. And so since the district court did not state that they would be served, that they would be served consecutively, um, then they uh, are to be served concurrently to each other. Um, the judge in this case did uh, miss pronounce uh, what the minimum of one of these cases uh, would be but um, due to the fact that he mispronounced what the minimum could be it is controlled by what the statute says or what the statutory minimum is and um, since the total minimum was not incorrect 
the Court of Appeals did not have to amend or uh, change any of those issues. And then the ineffective assistance of counsel issue uh, was a issue about entering into the plea, um, and the record was insufficient to address that on appeal. And so the Court of Appeals affirmed. Okay, I have State v. Rudloff, which is a criminal driving and influence case um, out of Sioux County. And there was a speedy trial um, allegation that it was violated, and this is basically this main subject for this appeal. The state sought a trial continuance because a material witness, the individual who took the blood from Mr. Rudloff, was not available. Um, it was around Memorial Day when they scheduled the trial, and the uh, witness said, hey, I have you know plans. I got family stuff. Um, I was planning to be out of state, actually, so I won't be available. And the... Uh, you know, there were affidavits that were offered by the state um, indicating the due diligence in trying to get the individual there, but they were unavailable. So the um, county court found good cause for providing the continuance, and and about two or three weeks after that, the defendant filed a motion for absolute discharge, alleging that speedy trial under the statute was violated. That was denied after they went through with all the calculations, and then they provided that the time from when the trial was originally scheduled and was continued for good cause, um, did not charge, uh, was not charged against the state. So they uh, denied the motion for absolute discharge. Now here on appeal, um, the um, Court of Appeals affirms the uh, you know county court and then the district court, although it disagreed with kind of the district court's calculation of the good time, it doesn't really matter because when you file a um, appeal on a motion for discharge, it waives the right to speedy trial. So they didn't have to calculate how many days are remaining. They just have to basically send it back and say, get it done because um, the speedy trial had been waived by filing that motion or that appeal on the motion for absolute discharge. But otherwise it was affirmed. I believe, is there one more? No, I think that's it. Okay. I don't have any more. Well, I don't have any more either. What should we do now? I don't know. I don't <laughs> want to try to make one up though. That would be... <laughs> One, that would be very disingenuous. Well, what happened in Douglas County? This yeah, Douglas <laughs> County. Well, there were a lot of cats there in Douglas <laughs> County. Less dogs. Anyway, um, here's what we do. We uh, travel around. I sometimes play a Willie Nelson song. No, I like that. Why not? Willie kind of fits the mood today. It does. It's kind of kind of weird. It's kind of dreary. Yeah. You got the, yeah. If I were a bear, now would be nap time. That's true. It's it's about time to, you know, take the long nap. I'd like a long <laughs> nap. I'd like a good bear nap. I'd like a good hibernation nap. Yeah. I'll see you in February, everybody. Yeah, exactly. No, we'll see you next week. We'll see you before then. We'll see Yeah, you. we're doing it early. We're yeah, this Friday. week. Friday. Friday. It's happening. We're going to get it done. We're going to talk about chicken or something. Yes, there will be some kind of sandwich that will be eaten. Wonderful. All right. Well, this is Point Two Law Review brought to you by Anderson Klein, Brewster, and Brandt. Uh, have a good few days, everybody. <laughs> yeah. We got to fix this. All right. Uh, I'm John Bray. Have a good day. I'm Carson Messersmith. Thanks. <laughs>